as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the Word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. May God bless the reading of his word, and Jonathan's going to come and speak to us again. If you have a Bible, it would be good to have it open, because what I say I trust is going to come out of the Bible. So you are able, if you have a Bible, to test whether what I say comes from the words of the Lord Jesus or simply is something I make up myself. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your worldwide church. Thank you that you are calling people to faith in you day by day, that you are calling people to discipleship in you, calling people to a right perspective of themselves to a confession of their sins, calling them to come and follow you, to give themselves totally to you, to put out into deep water in their lives. Lord, if we're feeling a bit too comfortable this morning, we pray that you will unsettle us. And if we're feeling a bit unsettled, Lord, we pray you will comfort and encourage us through your word, the word of God, through your Bible, in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of our sermon this morning is Put Out Into the Deep Water, which comes from Luke, chapter five. I mentioned that two weeks ago I was preaching in Malawi, this is the church I was in. There were over 300 people there. It filled the building. It overflowed out of the back. It was a communion Sunday, which is why the ladies are all dressed in their women's fellowship outfits, which they wear on communion Sunday, uh, which is beautiful, that, that uniform. I wonder, why do you think those people came to church that day? Well, there could have been all sorts of reasons. 
This church service lasted five and a quarter hours. In fact, I only got up to preach after three hours had had passed. And yes, I preached for an hour and 10 minutes because it was with translation. Um, So I didn't help the situation. Um, This was one of the youth choirs singing. Maybe they came because they love singing in the choirs that so many of the churches in Malawi have. This was the commissioning of the baptismal class for the next six months. They have a baptisms every six months. So the commissioning of the class now for baptism in July and then they'll commission in September for baptism in December. Uh, The pool is outside, but you can do that in Malawi. Um, So there were 22 young people coming forward for baptism this six months in that church. It was also the day they were ordaining 26 elders. And each of the wives, uh, and in fact they had four lady elders as well, so the spouses of elders are automatically deacons or deaconesses because they say they have to be commissioned to be supporting the other one who's the elder. And then there are another 20-something deacons or deaconesses for other ministries who who were not part of couples as well. So there was about 50 leaders being commissioned that day as well in this large church. They have area groups and every area has a man and a woman elder in it to help pastor both the men and the women. So they were being commissioned. Also every month on Communion Sunday, they dedicate the young children who've been born or, or have come out, come forward ready. So there were about four or five young children that month in the church being dedicated. You can see why it's a five-hour service. (laughs) So there's the church. Why do you think some of those were there? Maybe they'd come for those special events. What about us? Why are we here this morning? We could easily be doing something else. Sunny winter morning like this. Maybe, just like some of the people in Malawi, we're here because we want to be with our friends. Maybe we come because it's a family tradition. Maybe you even came because you thought you were going to have a compelling preacher. But I'm afraid it's not Andy this morning. Maybe you are here for the right reason, because your heart is tuned to God and you want to worship him. Certainly many of those people in Malawi, their hearts were there. That is one of the churches with a well-trained pastor. In fact, the pastor is one of our volunteer trainers in Learn to Serve. He has a, a theology degree and he is uncompromising in the way he teaches the gospel and disciples people. But many of the churches do not have that as I was saying. Now, in our passage in Luke chapter 5 today, we read about a large number of people coming, just like in that large number in the church. And we have a good crowd here this morning. Large numbers of people crowding around Jesus. So if you look at verses 1 to 3, we read about a compelling preacher. You can picture the scene. They were by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, 
the crowd had come to hear Jesus preaching and teaching. They were pressing on him, moving forward all the time. That meant Jesus was backing all the time as he was teaching them. There wasn't now much space left on the beach. If he went back much further, he'd be in the water. But the crowd just kept building, kept moving forward. Such did they want to hear what he had to say. So we then see in verse 2, he got to the water's edge. And there were two fishing boats pulled up onto the shore. Now these boats would have been typically 10 meters, 30 feet long, by three meters, 10 foot wide, small boats. In fact, I've seen boats very similar to that and even dug out canoes on Lake Malawi that go out at night searching for fish in a very biblical sort of way. Small boats with a sail that would get themselves there. Well, these boats, these two boats owned by four fishermen. These boats had been out with these fishermen all night fishing. And now the fishermen were on the shore, washing their nets, preparing ready for the next night's fishing. In verse 3, we hear that Jesus then, seeing this situation of the crowd coming towards him, he commandeers one of these boats. And he gets into the boat, just out from the shore, on the water, So now he is about the same distance as you are from me. He's in the boat standing. They're all on the shore. They can't go any further forward or they'll be in the lake. They can see him. He can see them. And verse 1 tells us that the crowd were listening to the word of God. They were listening to the word of God being taught to them by the Son of God here on earth. Now, that's a privilege we don't have in exactly the same way. They were hearing Jesus face to face. But we can do the same. We have to listen to the ideas that God is telling us, telling us through Jesus, not listening to the ideas of compelling orators who have their own agendas to push. That's why I said at the beginning, open your Bibles, test what I am saying to you comes out of the word of God. You see, we don't have Jesus with us physically teaching in the way that those people did. But we do have his words written down for us in the words of scripture. Those words are there for faithful preachers and teachers, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, for faithful people to pass on to us and explain to us and teach us from. For those who have open ears to hear, to receive, and to learn from, just like those crowds on the beach. It's the nearest we have to the equivalent when we sit under the authority of the Bible in the way that they were sitting under the authority of a compelling preacher, the Lord Jesus. So today we must listen, not to the words of the preacher, but to the words of Jesus and his message to us. 
So do test what you ever always hear from a pulpit. Particularly test things you hear on the internet. This is a message I pass on in Malawi where, where there are many who would teach a false gospel. And there are many in our country who teach a false gospel. So test it against the words of Jesus. Is the message faithful to the words Jesus would be saying if he was standing here with you now in this pulpit? Well, for these people, they were listening to the word of God and Jesus is a compelling preacher. But you know, even some of those people who heard Jesus face to face when he was on earth they didn't find him a compelling preacher. You only have to go back one chapter to Luke chapter 4, verses 28 to 30, and you find Jesus, yes, that same Jesus, preaching in his hometown, in Nazareth. And the people rejected him. Yeah, they even, even neighbors wanted to try and capture him and kill him for what he was saying. And in fact, He had to perform a miracle there to walk out through them and escape. So even when we have Jesus face to face in front of us, our hearts are sinful and do not always want to listen. And when we don't have Jesus face to face, we simply have his words in the Bible. Through laziness or through rebellion, we can easily walk away and not listen to those words of teaching. So we have the people crowding around on the lake shore listening. Maybe some of those will, in three years' time, be down in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Maybe in three years' time, those who are listening to the compelling preacher will be crying out for his blood. Don't imagine just because you're here now today, your heart will want to keep listening to Jesus unless you make the effort to keep listening. We can all cool off, fall away, not listen to the words of the compelling preacher. But today, many people are listening to the Son of God, teaching and preaching. Today here, and back in that day, on that beach on the Sea of Galilee. And you know, when people are truly listening to the word of God from the mouth of the Son of God, then God opens doors to do so much more in our lives. God is not just looking for a way to escape as Jesus had to in Nazareth when he was being condemned and attacked. God opens the door to do so much more. So I pray your ears are open to hearing the words of the compelling preacher Jesus today. And that's exactly what happened next. In verses four to seven, we see about an astonishing miracle. The people were listening to the word of God, says verse one. So then Jesus turns to the men whose boat he's just borrowed. The people who made that boat available to enable him to carry on teaching. And in the context of God's word being taught and people 
listening to it, Jesus then speaks to Simon Peter. That context is important. We can, we can want God to do things, but we actually want to do them without listening to him. This, it may happen, but it's far more likely to happen if we are listening to him. So come to verse 4. Jesus then tells this professional fisherman to put out into the deep water. Now, first of all, fishermen knew that you did your fishing at night, not in the middle of the day. Second, they'd just been out all night, they were tired, and they had caught nothing. So if you look at verse 5, you can begin to imagine the tone of voice in Peter's reply. At best, you would call it a wee bit sarcastic, irritated. Oh, this preacher, he thinks he knows everything. He's telling us experts how to do our fishing now. You can just hear that in Simon's reply. But he says it quite nicely, Master, you're a great preacher and teacher. You know all about God, you know all about religion, you know all about theology and all that sort of stuff. But do give us a bit of credit, cut a bit of slack here. We've been on this lake fishing for years. We grew up here. We didn't grow up in Nazareth in a carpenter's place, long way from the lake. We've been fishermen all our lives. Master, maybe you were sleeping in bed last night. Well, we were out on the lake. We were out working all night. Trust us, we know there really are no fish out there. Peter thinks Jesus can talk about God, but not teaching en- teach him anything about the working world. He's got this divide in his mind. And many people think that way about Jesus today. Maybe you're one of them. That the Bible tells us about religious things, but it doesn't tell us about fishing. It doesn't tell us about working in the oil industry. It doesn't tell us about doing business, buying and selling. It doesn't tell us how to be a good school teacher, how to be a social worker, how to be a carer. It doesn't tell us about managing a family being a parent. It doesn't tell us about building a house, managing other people. It tells us about the things of God, yes, but but hey, that's different. Like Peter, we can very easily say to Jesus, Jesus, you stay out of my area of expertise, or at least during the week. Keep out. But what Jesus is saying to Simon Peter when he speaks to him this way is he's saying, I am to be the Lord of all areas of your life. I am to be the Lord of your work. I am to be the Lord of your family. I am to be the Lord of your business relationships, of your partnerships, of your integrity, of your accountability to others. I am to be Lord of your personal conduct, of your purity, of your morality. I'm to be Lord of everything. And he shows that to Jesus. 
through this astonishing miracle. He takes a miracle right into the heart of his weekday work life by doing this miracle with the fish. Maybe Jesus does other things in our lives that touch us in those areas that we think we keep away from him and we're the experts in. You'll have to reflect on that knowing your own life, how Jesus draws to our attention the fact that we are to submit to his lordship in every way. He shows Simon this miracle. And Jesus can do that, why? Because the context is that people are listening to his teaching. Without that, it probably wouldn't have happened. They're listening to his teaching. Peter would have been one of them. And despite Peter's obvious irritation at Jesus' meddling in his fishing, rather than just sticking to things of God that pastors are meant to just talk about, if you look at the second part of verse 5, Peter shows obedience still to Jesus, even though it's very reluctant obedience. You see, on our part, even reluctant obedience that we may show to Jesus' commands is far better than no obedience at all. Disobedience. When Peter listened to Jesus' teaching and then obeyed him practically, the result was such a large catch of fish that it risked sinking both of the boats. <laughs> Extreme result. Listening on one hand and obeying. Not just listening, not just trying to obey without listening, but the combination of the two together. In verse 6, you can, you can see the fish were, were almost fighting each other to be the first ones into the net. We may ask, well, how did this miracle take place? Where did the fish come from? Were they fish that were out in the lake that somehow they hadn't been catching, that, that the Lord made travel that way? Or did he create these fish from nowhere? Who knows? To ask those sort of questions is actually to miss the point that this is making. We're, we're being sort of trying to be scientists, asking, well, where did these fish come from and how did it happen? And That's not the point that this was done for. You see, it was the conversation with Jesus that followed, the interaction that was what was important out of this situation. So we've had verses 1 to 3, a compelling preacher partnered with attentive listeners. And then verses 4 to 7, an astonishing miracle. And then we move to verses 8 and 9, a surprising request. How does Peter respond to this miracle? Peter says, depart from me. Now Peter, Andrew, James, or the living God in the temple he said, woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Or as John experienced in Revelation chapter 1, when he saw the risen, ascended, glorified Lord Jesus, he said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. In verse 8, Peter responded in the same way. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Like Isaiah before and John afterwards, Peter saw the holiness of Jesus. He knew when this miracle took place, he he was in the presence of God. He didn't see the pound signs in the fishing market at all. That just disappeared. He was overcome. It paled away to insignificance. But Peter saw Jesus for who he really was. When he was listening to the teaching, Jesus broke into his life. He was confronted then by the holiness of God. He realized he'd sinned. Even just by hesitating to do what Jesus had asked him to do, he had sinned. It touched his heart. It made him uncomfortable. You see, to Peter, Jesus was now far more than just a compelling teacher to listen to. In fact, he was more even than one to call master, which is a term of great respect. He realized the magnitude of Jesus' claim on his life, and he uses a new word. He calls him Lord, Lord of everything. Peter's experience was the same as, as Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 1, each day after work, God visited them for a sundown, a conversation, chatting with them at the end of the day. But what happened on the day they sinned? They saw themselves for who they were relative to God. They hid from God. They ran away. They could not bear to be in his presence. That was Peter's experience. Peter was torn apart inside. He wanted Jesus to just go away. He said, I am a sinner. Depart from me. But at the same time, he also called him Lord. And he fell at his feet. Torn in these two directions. He was saying, Jesus, I'm not worthy of you. But I'm still here. I'm still talking to you. Because actually I have nowhere else to go but to you. So what happened then? The start of verse 10. A loving response. Jesus doesn't contradict Peter. He doesn't say, oh no Peter, don't worry, you are a good person. Jesus doesn't excuse Peter's sin. He doesn't excuse his reluctance to obey. He doesn't say, don't worry, Peter, you were tired, you weren't thinking clearly. He doesn't say, well, Peter, you face many challenges in life. It's not your fault that you didn't obey me. He doesn't say, don't worry, Peter, it was, it was your parents' fault. They didn't give you a good upbringing. He doesn't say any of those things. Jesus simply 
accepts his confession of sin in humility before him. But notice, Jesus doesn't agree to Peter's request to go away. He stays put. Instead, in verse 10, rather than go away, Jesus gives words of comfort. Do not fear. If you remember, I mentioned John's experience in the book of Revelation when he saw a vision of the risen, ascended, glorified Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. And then he, Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And Jesus does the same to us today. When, in the Bible, God meets people overcome by their sin, wanting to just be apart from Jesus, and yet not having anywhere else to go, people who know they deserve judgment, people who merit only separation from the holy Lord Jesus, who know in and of themselves they're destined for separation from God, eternity in hell. Throughout the Bible, the thing God says to someone whose heart is like that, do not be afraid. I'm with you and I will not leave. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, to give us that sense of assurance. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How are you in Christ Jesus? You come to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have nowhere else to go but to you. It's the same for us. Jesus takes us just as we are. He doesn't make excuses for our sin. He doesn't want us to make excuses for our sin. He just wants us to come with it, humbly. And he bears it in his body on the cross. And then he speaks those words of grace and comfort to us. That then leads, in the rest of verse 10 and verse 11, to a decisive moment. The four fishermen, you see, had a choice to make. Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. The words literally mean, you will catch people alive. So do the four fishermen stay in their own fishing business? Or do they join Jesus' fishing business? Do they leave everything behind as he's asking them and follow him? And the same is true for us. It may not be as dramatic as it was for them. It may not mean leaving your job, your career, and setting out to Bible college or uh, to the ends of the world. But the same is true for us. The question Jesus asks is, do we continue jogging through life? Do we continue, yes, even jogging through church life, week in, week out? 
Or do we throw ourselves and all we have to offer, whatever that may be, into his great kingdom-building project, whatever the cost? For me, I'll just give a word of testimony at this point. That challenge came to me, actually, at the Keswick Convention back in, I think it was 2005. It was the mission evening at the convention, and, and I remember we were singing Jesus, All for Jesus, the song. All I am and have and ever want to be. Um, and I didn't know, but six years later, because I went, I went forward at that meeting. I'm not one who goes forward in these things, but I wanted to stand up and go forward. I felt I could not help it. I was compelled. I didn't know that six years later, after four years at Bible college, I'd be called to start the Caruso Trust and this whole ministry in Malawi. I just said to God, whatever, I will go. And it's a very dangerous prayer to make. But it's the same prayer that Jesus is asking of Peter at that point. If you think about Luke's gospel, the second volume of Luke is Acts of the Apostles. Luke wrote that too. And Luke wrote Acts telling us what this challenge, this commitment to go forward actually meant to Peter in the long run. Three years later, after Jesus had died, Peter preached that first sermon at Pentecost when 3,000 received salvation. I was once in a prison in Malawi when the gospel was being preached and about 40 meter length of prisoners, three or four deep, were all there saying, yes, I want to give my life to Christ and change my life. It felt like the day of Pentecost all over again to be in that experience. And yet the, the lives of those men were terrible. Many of them were still in the clothes they'd been arrested in three years earlier. They did not get food unless relatives brought food in. Some of them were so thin they were looking for hope, and Jesus was the only hope. 3,000 received salvation on the day of Pentecost. Those fishermen now had a new allegiance. They had a new agenda, a new prime loyalty. They had new priorities because they had said yes. Their world was never going to be the same again. And that's true for each of us, each in a unique way. Each of us who follows Jesus do have to let go of old priorities. Many parts of your life may stay the same, but there will be other priorities that have to be let go in order to take on new ones of your calling. That's what we mean by discipleship. Discipleship isn't just studying the Bible and saying how nice it is. Discipleship is something very practical. That's something I've learned in Malawi. The young people there are discipled by getting them to serve. Some of them are simply at the end of a phone call away saying, we need help today to do this. And, and if they're not in college or something, they're free, they'll be there and doing manual work, moving stuff, helping. Because that's part of the discipleship relationship. We disciple them, they serve with us, we learn and serve and move together. That's what you need in an active church. That's discipleship. Now for Simon Peter, Cast your mind ahead three years. 
to John chapter 21, there was to be another event then around a catch of fish. Despite Peter's decision in Luke chapter 5 to leave all and follow Jesus, Peter then went on to deny Jesus three times. I don't know him, he said, three times over. Jesus died on the cross, all alone, abandoned even by his closest friends. The disciples all ran away. They went back to catching fish on the lake again. It was the thing they'd grown up with. It was the thing they knew best. We often do that when we're running away from something. We go back to what we're comfortable with. So there they are, back on the lake shore, fishing. Their master, their Lord, has been killed. They're confused. They don't know what to do. So they go back to what they know, what they're comfortable with. And in John chapter 21, verse 5, a stranger calls out from the shore, friends, haven't you caught any fish? It's like deja vu again. No, they answered. Verse, 20, verse 6, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, and there was no reluctant obedience this time, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This time they realized that this was the risen, glorious Lord Jesus. Peter didn't say, depart from me. Rather, Peter was the first one out the boat. He was the one swimming to the shore, wrapping a towel around himself to make himself decent. And then after Peter's threefold denial, three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Three times Peter replied, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times Jesus repeats and renews his commission to Peter, look after my sheep. Jesus says, do not fear. So as we finish, I'll throw three questions at you from this passage. Number one, What's your view of Jesus? Because this is where Jesus started with Peter. In verse 1, some regarded him as a compelling preacher, a great teacher. Yes, he is. But that's not all. In verse 5, Simon Peter calls him master, a term of serious respect. But that's not all. But when Peter understands who Jesus really is, the magnitude of who this Jesus is, he calls him Lord. That's the word for God Almighty in the Old Testament, Yahweh. He's far more than just a compelling teacher. He's far more than a master that you respect and serve. So what's your view of Jesus, who he really is, the magnitude of his authority? Second question, what's your view of yourself? How are you coming this morning before God, even here at church? 
Do you think of yourself as respectable? Do you think Jesus would be quite pleased to have you in his team? Do you see yourself otherwise as sinful, broken, deserving of Jesus leaving you alone, condemned? What do you think of yourself? And finally, what's your purpose for living then? Do you live for your family, for your work, for sport or another hobby? Maybe you live for the life and ministry of the church. Maybe you live in fear of the present or in fear of the future. Perhaps you're fearing death. You're afraid of taking risks in your life, afraid to take risks in your Christian faith. Perhaps your Christian life has just become that bit too comfortable. Jesus challenges us to put out in the deep water. He tells us not to fear the future, not to fear the wrath of God for our sins. Rather, to those who view him correctly as the Lord and who view themselves aright as sinners before that holy God, then he gives them an invitation. He gives them an invitation to have a share in his fishing business, just as he did with Simon Peter. Put out into the deep water. What will you do? Maybe you've never come to him. You've never known him as more than a compelling preacher. Now is the day to come to him as Lord and give your life to him. Maybe you're realizing as you think about this that you've perhaps wandered off a bit and you need to rededicate yourself to him and to his service. Or maybe you are seeking to follow him, but you don't feel you've yet found your niche, your calling. You have gained a new perspective of him and of yourself and you want to take that active step to become an active partner in his mission to be like Simon Peter. So whatever's the next step for you, I plead with you, put out into that deep water and your life will never be the same again. Let's pray.